You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We are actually being chased by money today to take more than we need because they've seen A, our deployment skill sets, B, we have put the skin in the game, so we are walking the talk. And then the financier says, yeah, you're walking the talk. My checkbox all clicked. It's risk-free. Let's go. Take more money. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. As Tesla is for EV, we want energy for renewable natural gas. So when people talk about EV, they talk about Tesla, generally. When people will talk about RNG, the first name which will come in their mind would be Energia. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Kunal Shah as my guest. What does an investor like? He or she likes something which is proven, reliable, readily tappable, and needs very little change or no change in infrastructure. In the water space, you have a low-hanging fruit, which is the biogas. Kunal is Chief Growth Officer at Energia and a council member of the World Biogas Association, the Singapore Water Association and Imagine H2O Asia. The water industry is what I call an aged club in the right spirit, either you have white hair or no hair to be taken seriously. When you are a young guy wanting to sell a 30 or a 40 million dollar wastewater contract to a large utility, which is a bureaucratic utility, A, you're not considered seriously. B, the trust factor is missing. Energia ambitions to convert waste into a carbon-negative fuel for a sustainable future. By Season 5, Episode 12, we got to meet one of the water industry's legends, Andrew Benedek, the founder and architect of Xenon. There were so many nuggets to dig from wastewater membranes to entrepreneurships through some of the boldest moves in our industry that I didn't really cover his new endeavor with Energia. Actually, to be honest, I did it on purpose at the time, because when I interviewed Andrew, I had just met Kunal a couple of weeks before at the Global Water Summit in Madrid. And the least I can say is that I got incredibly impressed by his speed of thought, his knowledge and his accuracy. And as he had almost agreed to join me on that microphone, I wanted him to be our guide into the present and the future of biomethane production, aka our sector's carbon negative fuel. I finally could take my microphones to Energia's office in Singapore some weeks ago. And let's face it, the rest is gold. But don't take my word for it, experience it for yourself. So I strive to keep this intro short and let you dive into Kunal's insight as fast as possible. Because when interviews are on my editing table, I always extract some highlights to share them on social media. And Kunal broke a record right now. I have about 14 minutes of highlights. So remember, if you like what you hear, don't keep that knowledge for you. Sharing is caring. Take this episode and share it with a colleague. Come tell me what you liked about it on LinkedIn. Grab your friends' phones and subscribe them to the podcast. Come on, do it, and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Kunal. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. Thanks for having me here. Actually, you're having me here. That's the interesting thing because I'm visiting you. I'm really happy to be in your offices, which gives me an opportunity for quite a special postcard because we are at Energia's office in Singapore. So two opening questions. First, what is Energia? for someone who wouldn't know it. And what are you doing here in Singapore? First of all, welcome Antoine to Singapore and to our offices here. I always say that Energia's core essence is in the meaning of the word. The word is Energia, means anaerobic energy. That's the meaning of Energia. And for everybody else in the world, we are one of the world's largest organic waste technology listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, Canadian headquartered, but pretty much global. So we've built facilities uh, now in over four continents. We are one of the few companies in the world who treat anything organic waste, wastewater sludge that covers the water sector, solid waste, municipal solid waste and food waste that covers the waste space. And then the third one is what we call agri-food waste, which is food waste from industries, waste from agriculture, like cow manure, poultries and dairies. That's why I call it the world's largest platform to treat any kind of organic waste. And we convert these 
through a series of proprietary technologies into useful products. So I would say we are maximizing resource recovery from the world's waste streams, accelerating decarbonization at mega scale today. So maximizing resource recovery, decarbonization, those are topics I'd really like to explore with you a bit more in depth in just a minute. But I'd like to start by getting to know you a bit better. And actually, we're in Singapore and you are quite active in Singapore. I've seen that you're the youngest council member of the Singapore Water Association. So what do you do there? What is the Singapore Water Association and what is your role? Singapore Water Association is one of the largest water associations in Southeast Asia. As we all know, and you must have felt it when you're here, that Singapore is the water hub. I would even call it a global water hub now, given the amount of companies we have, given the amount of R&D which happens, and the given amount of market leadership, and I would say visionary growth path, which the biggest utility, which is PUB, has created. And imagine just one utility has created billion-dollar industry employing thousands of people across various sectors. So this association kind of brings that all together. It's an interesting thing to have a young voice on the association. And what we have seen is that the association has grown just in the last 15 years from four or five companies to 306 members today. So we are considering ourselves as a gateway for companies across the world to come and if we could be of any help in any way to establish here or move into Southeast Asian region, you have my contact details. You mentioned the, the young voices. And actually, I was thinking, you know, if it's a global hydro hub and it has this element of innovation, maybe the aspect of being young is an asset, which is not always the case in the water industry. So what do you think of that? Probably I have to remind myself. So when I started in the water space and my alma mater, which was VATEC Wabag, obviously the water industry is what I call an aged club in the right spirit, either you have white hair or no hair to be taken seriously. And this is an industry which is beyond technology. This is an industry which is beyond uh, just financing and transactions. This is an industry which is built with relationships, emotions, trust. And I would also use the word like, it's like a family, right? And when you are a young guy wanting to sell a 30 or a $40 million wastewater contract to a large utility, which is a bureaucratic utility, A, you're not considered seriously. B, the trust factor is missing. And C is that, yeah, you know, who are that? So I think being young, I was fortunate enough to have advisors and gurus to help me navigate this. And I've learned it the hard way to maneuver all these hoops and hips. I would say that doing a water sale, if you're not selling a pump and a pipe, if you're doing a complex water sale, and I'm sure Antoine, you will raise with me that it's a complex sale. You deal with utility on one hand and the utility has its own organization structure. You have consultants to deal with. You have city politicians to deal with. I'm talking about a municipal contract. And then you have contractors or subcontractors if it's a new country. And then you have vendors. And then if you have a BOT project, you go to the next level of complexity of land permits, approval, EIA study. When you deal with something like that, there is no one door you knock and you convince that person and you get the job. You have to deal with multiple stakeholders. So I think as a young person, we had all the energy to do that and nothing to lose, right? So fall, get up next day and move on. So I think the young people from this message I would like to pass on from the podcast is that it's an amazing space to be for anybody young. What I say is that when you do work in the water space and in so many countries, you actually don't need an MBM. And I think that I've done my live MBA in the water space. So you deal with relationships, you deal with geopolitical issues, you deal with real issues on the ground. And I think youngsters have a massive role to play in this space. I fully agree with the MBA element. I said it on that microphone. To me, that podcast is my MBA because I'm getting some shares of experience of all the people I'm interviewing. And I have to say, absolutely right, when you visit an industrial park, you try to understand what they do because you have to. Even if the water is a byproduct or is something which is just there in the background, you still have to understand what they do. I guess people with a real MBA might be angry at us for, for saying that, but <laughs> I, I agree with you. you. You mentioned guru and advisor and you received that. And now somehow, if I get it right, you're trying to share that as well because you're working with Imagine H2O as an advisor. So is it a way to pass the baton for you? Yeah, I mean, probably upbringing. I always believe in the word karma, which is popular in some parts of the world that, you know, what you give comes back or you give with one hand and you receive with another. So it's always a two-way traffic. Very fortunate to have those gurus. And even now, our CEO and chairman, Andrew Benedict, is one of the biggest gurus I have right now to, to give us a wisdom of 55 plus years of industry experience in a short time, right? So I believe that through mentoring startups or even companies from other part of the world who may want to enter Asia 
and likewise Asian companies looking at going into Western Hemisphere, there is always some learnings to be shared and discussed and brainstorm. And I'm just amazed by the quality of young waterpreneurs coming out. And if we could even help them in a way, a little bit, and I think if that can correct the course of their direction, it, it will be a very happy feeling that you get a good night's sleep after that. So what's the number one mistake they keep doing, which you tell them, no, don't do that? Number one would be tough, Antoine. Actually, there are a few common mistakes which I have observed, and I will limit that to the Asian perspective. So when somebody has a unique technology, not many, but most of them think that it's like an iPhone everybody has to buy. And let's face it, in the water sector, there is no one kit which solves a customer's entire problem. So I've always told them that maybe they have to take one step back to go two step forward is that whenever they are trying to address a particular piece of market, they have to study the totality. A 5,000 feet view, a helicopter view as we say, to look at the whole solution and then try to fit in their technology with like-minded partners. So I always tell them about this concept of real partnership and not being very concealing about the technology they have. Maybe they'll come out with something unique. That's one thing. The second one was that the point which I just mentioned that you knock on a door and you believe that probably you're from MIT and Stanford, so somebody would just buy it. I think it's more than that. You got to bring in technology, but you also going to bring in commercial offering. You also going to bring in relation. You also have to develop the trust. And in all the sales I have done so far, I've figured out that when you have trust and relationship built, there is a much more healthier discussion because both parties win. And that is something which I tell them that consider not from what you want from the guy and what you can sell, but also always think that what the customer really wants and not forcing the technology. And last but not the least is, Antoine, you may have observed over the podcast is that when you would have spoken to people who have come up in the hard way in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, let's face it, there were not many grants available. There were not many free incentives available. And uh, well, that's not a bad thing because that always pushes the technology or reduces the go-to-market by maybe a decade. But I think completely relying on grants to be able to push forward a product and market launch it may not be the right approach. You always need a mixture of element of some skin in the game, some grants, and the other thing. Again, I'll stop here, but there are some common things which I see which can be improved. And these are very simple things, no rocket science. So we addressed the Singapore Water Association, what you're doing with Imagine H2O, but that's not all you do because you're also a council member of the World Biogas Association. And still, that's not your main job because your main job is to be the chief growth officer at Energia. What's your fuel for all of that? What makes your day and what pushes you to be so active? I think the fuel is passion towards this space. When I started in the water space, space really got me just crazy and it's such a beautiful space and then now with energy I also got exposed to the waste space and I figured out that the end product which catapults this space forward is RNG biomethane or biogas which is a product which touches both the water sector and the waste space and I was given the opportunity to represent Asia Pacific and youth and the wastewater space at the World Biogas Association. So I feel proud that there is a voice of this uh, wastewater space, that wastewater sludge can decarbonize or has the potential to supply green gas or biomethane or RNG, different nomenclatures today at scale. And this should be represented at this global association. To switch to our deep dive, I'd like to remind you of our first encounter, actually, we were both at the Global Water Summit in Madrid and luck or random or whatever put us on the same networking table and we were discussing hydrogen. And I just had discussed with a couple of companies active in that field doing turquoise hydrogen production by pyrolysis and wastewater treatment. So I just brought up that idea and that sounded to me like something really brilliant, like really great, like a good prospect as to how to solve two problems at once. And you cut me off like very straight. It was clear, it was constructed and you just explain how that makes today little sense. And I thought, oh, that guy may know one thing of two. And that's why I really wanted to have the discussion with you. But for all the ones which are not seated at that table that day, what's the problem with turquoise hydrogen production on the wastewater treatment plants. First of all, Antoine, no offense, I'm kind of a straight shooter. So I wanted to come to the point because that round table was only for 10 minutes. So I Absolutely. Thought that. And probably that's the reason which uh, Destiny made us meet again because of that point. So coming back to the question and the uh, topic of green hydrogen, again, why the 
short, crisp, constructive answer is because at Energia, we have done a lot of work. We are doing a lot of work and we have seen this whole fad and fashion for green hydrogen. It's like either you are in or you are out. But I again repeat as what our chairman says that the problem of climate change is so big and it is so widespread, it touches every country, every human being on planet Earth, that everything has a space. Like green hydrogen, like RNG or biomethane, like biogas, like a biogenic CO2, like sustainable aviation fuel, like any green fuel, everything has a space because the problem is so big that if you have to move the needle, everybody has to work together. Now, coming back to the point of the Madrid discussion was that is wastewater infrastructure an interesting ecosystem to house a green hydrogen building asset? And the answer there was that when we did our analysis, even though today when people are thinking of green hydrogen from wind and solar and electrolyzers, the costs are not there yet. Now, the wastewater treatment plant definitely needs oxygen and they have water, which an electrolyzer is needed. So there is a nexus. There is a correlation. Is it the best correlation today in 2022? The answer may be no. There are lots of interesting projects being worked out. I mentioned the Australian project build being built by AGIG. A very interesting innovative concept that they are building, co-locating a hydrogen plant where they will pass the oxygen to the wastewater treatment plant, reducing the uh, OPEX. They'll use the recycle MBR, RO recycled water to electrolyzer. And then they're also going to use biogas in a way. So there is a bit more angle than hydrogen there. But when I look at a bit of the details, it's not very encouraging. But that should not deter us to stop not being working towards it. So sorry if I was very utterly straightforward, but I think... Don't be sorry. <laughs> but there is definitely work to be done. Today, there are more lower hanging fruits for both the green hydrogen space and the wastewater space. And let me elaborate a little bit more on that. Is the green hydrogen space, the cost of electrolyzers massively has to come down. It will come down eventually, like what we saw in the solar space. But also the cost of renewable energy, which then feeds the electrolyzer, has to be coming down. And at scale. Scale is what I fear in terms of speed of which with green hydrogen will be built. I think people are changing that. Um, Australia, many other places in the world, hydrogen is going to be very big. But coming on to our sector, and I call it our sector proudly because in the way, water and wastewater sector, we have a low-hanging fruit, biogas. What does an investor like? He or she likes something which is proven, reliable, readily tappable, and needs very little change or no change in infrastructure. And this is a very good point I will elaborate in a bit. In the water space, you have a low-hanging fruit, which is the biogas, the sludge. And you can make RNG out of it. And this can straight away decarbonize today. And the technologies are more than mature and risk-free. The other big advantage, which I think we all are missing, or at least some of the people are missing here, is infrastructure required for hydrogen and RNG. Look at that. When you build a hydrogen plant, what do you do with that? Okay, you got to store it. It's a different animal to store that. And then where do you inject it? The same pipelines which carry gas in your own, my home, will not be able to take it. You can do a little bit of a blend. But on the other side, when you have RNG or biomethane, you can inject it today with minimal disruption to anything. The same molecule can go into the natural gas molecule. So that cost of infrastructure change, if you add then on top of the green hydrogen, because here we should always talk about totality. The net cost with wastewater sludge and co-digestion, which I will elaborate, you can make a molecule which can directly go today into the pipeline and decarbonize. You mentioned low-hanging fruit. What is the status quo today? How many of the potential are we already tapping into? How often do we have a digestion on a wastewater treatment plant, on a waste collection place? And how much of that biogas is then injected into the network and valorized? So I would not have all the real numbers and stats. As a feeling. So Anto, what I would say is that coming from both water and the, and the waste sector now as energy, when we look at it, first of all, one thing good here is that we as a human being or mankind, have now built a lot of wastewater plants. So that's a thumb we should be proud of. But there is still more than 50% of the wastewater yet to be treated. So that's something which I will not talk about. Let's talk about the wastewater treatment plants which are there. Then when you talk about the wastewater treatment plants, there is a certain economy of scale where biogas becomes viable. And the thumb rule goes that if the plant is about 6 to 8 MGD, or I would say 20 to 30 MLD, million liters a day, then the amount of sludge coming out and setting up the digestion infrastructure, you can build biogas even with a smaller sludge, but in terms of economy of scale and payback, that is the market. If you look at that market, unfortunately, you will see less than 15%. 15, 15. 1.5. And in the developed countries, you may have a bit more, and that's why I would say I would not have the right number, but there are 
still large plants which are doing aerobic sludge management and just aerobically treating it. And there are many plants which don't have primary clarifiers. Sludge is not being treated. Many plants, there are no digesters and the sludge is being hauled away to a drying facility or just land applied after dewatering. So I would say the potential is crazy and huge. And that's what keeps us excited every day at Energia. We have built so many of them already. We have so many more to be built. So coming back to the question, what is the potential? It will be several billion dollars, not just from the perspective of building sludge digestion infrastructure, but, and that if you're okay to jumping the topic, I would like to talk about the code digestion space because mm -hmm. again, the beauty with our sector is that we touch so many facets of a city infrastructure or a human being infrastructure is that we not only have the potential or the avenue to treat wastewater sludge, which is generated at the wastewater treatment plant, but imagine this wastewater treatment plant becoming the hub for all other organic waste in that city. So you now talk about code digestion and that is another billions of dollars to be unlocked. So what's the way to roll that out? Because the traditional approach is to say you collect some greases and uh, you mix those greases with your sludge. And it's already better than just the sludge because it brings some more organic matter, it brings a different mix into your anaerobic digester. But what else? What are the other streams which you can tap into and how do you do that? That's a good observation, Antoine. So whenever I talk about code digestion, people say, ah, it's an old concept. People have been code digesting grease, FOGs, fats, oil and grease, and some liquid waste. At Energia, we are aware of this when we started this, this business. And we thought that, you know, Resource recovery is the new normal and co-digestion with simple organic waste is a new normal. What we said, how do we advance this new normal to the next stage? We started with a vision that can we not co-digest any and every bit of organic waste which exists on planet Earth? So now imagine, let's, let's go to this place. Let's take any city in the world, Antoine. And this is a bit of philosophical too. You will see most of the cities have a water department which includes wastewater sometimes, so which and there is a waste department. Both brothers or sisters are generally sons and daughters of the same father or the ministry, but generally there is a China wall between them. They are working in silos. And we realize, or our founder realized, Dr. Benedict realized that there is so much these two brothers or sisters could do together. Now, it could be a political subject. Then he says, the only way to make them talk together or one of the ways to make them talk together is using technologies. So we created systematically over a period of time technologies which can extract organics from mixed solid waste. I repeat for our listeners, we have technology proven, patented, reliable, which extracts organics from MSW. MSW is the home waste. Everything mixed, iron rods, tree bars, mattresses, food, and we extract food from that waste using a patented Orex Energia technology. Once you have extracted that organics, you then clean it. We have another technology there. You polish it and you put it into the existing wastewater sludge digester. Can we take a concrete example of that? Where do you roll that out? Oh, many places now. I'll start with California. And the reason is because of the SB1383 guidelines for organic diversion. For all the listeners, California has a very strict mandate and a guideline that by 2025 or 2030, no organic waste should go to the landfill, which means what do people do with the city waste? So we have set up a very interesting organic extrusion line at an existing transfer station. So every city or most of the cities have transfer stations where the waste gets collected, compacted and thrown to either the landfill or sent to the incinerator. We have set up this technology on an existing transfer station, which again means no disruption, no new land required, no permitting issues. So that shows that and to do more with less, right? So we got that built and we are extracting organics from that press and we are bringing it to our flagship Rialto Bioenergy facility where we are digesting it and producing RNG out of it. We have also another project where we are looking at, we are operating right now where there was an existing wastewater treatment plant. Imagine existing wastewater plant with digester infrastructure underutilized with taxpayers' money. We said, you know what, you have these two digesters, you are only utilizing half of their capacity. How about we bring in organic waste, food waste from outside, co-digested with sewage sludge in the existing digester? That's again another piece of technology we have, which is omnivore anaerobic digestion technology, where we can triple the capacity of an existing sludge digester in the same tank volume. I've seen that in the brochure and I was like, okay, how's that even possible? Three times in the same, I mean, the bacteria are the same bacteria. What's the trick? What's the magical thing? 
I would leave it to uh, people to contact us, Antoine, <laughs> David. But the simple answer is that we have decoupled the HRT and the SRT, and uh, we have some unique proprietary setup around the mixing, around thickening, and around the whole way we design and operate these plants. So I think if people are interested, we're happy to discuss. And we have already implemented these projects across. So there is a proof of concept, more than a proof of concept. We have plants as big as 80 MGD. 300 million liters a day wastewater treatment plants which have used this technology and running since the last years. So now you bought this organic waste from outside. We've used the same digester infrastructure to make now more gas. More gas for the wastewater utility. Now it also solves one very important point which is the NIMBY issue. Not in my backyard. Waste is smelly. Let's face it. Now you go for building a new waste facility in developed countries I'm told can take years but imagine a wastewater treatment plant which is there since 30, 40, 50 years. People have made it the part of their life, right? Now you process waste in that wastewater complex or infrastructure, you also solve in a way NIMBY issues. You mentioned how waste and wastewater are two brothers or sisters which don't really speak together and they all belong to one big utility. And you a bit touched on it when you said that there's one element of being cash positive and there's another element, which is the bigger picture, which is how do we behave in terms of carbon emissions? And one of the key topics for all these utilities nowadays is to become carbon neutral or to become carbon negative, ideally. You've described your technology package as a low hanging fruit so far, which leads me to that simple question. Can these utilities today with the existing state of the art be carbon neutral or carbon negative? A short answer would be YES underlined, yes. And uh, there are lots of facets associated with being carbon neutral. But I will again take one step back, Antoine, here. And I think our chairman touched upon this case study in your podcast. This is the Sterling Natural Resource Recovery Plant in California, which is not just going to be energy neutral, I would use the word energy first and then come to carbon, but it's also going to be energy positive, which means it put into the grid more energy than it consumes. That's, I think, for our industry already an achievement because energy is one of the biggest carbon source or angle. So I would say that the simple answer is that yes, our wastewater treatment plants can be energy positive, not just energy neutral. But is it only by treating their own sludge can they be energy positive? The answer is no. You have to up the game by, as I was explaining, bringing in other feedstocks and other organic waste and then producing more gas and making more either more RNG or sending more electricity to the grid. Come back to the carbon angle. When we look at the carbon angle, of course, you have the nitrous oxides emissions, N2O emissions from the clarifiers and stuff. And there are some low-hanging fruits there. You cover them up and stuff like that. Since we are not a subject matter expert on that, so I will live in my discussions there. However, every wastewater treatment plant has carbon emissions through the point of the electricity they use and the sludge they produce, right? In our case, we believe that we've tried to solve both because we are managing the sludge, which was a liability into an asset by converting it into green gas. And that green gas is then converted into either green energy, which can then subsidize or reduce their dependence on either brown or black energy. There's also another angle there is that it is not always only about carbon neutrality. In my view, the topic of climate change, and again, thanks to our founder, you will not believe in every management meeting we have, we have a first session on climate change, regardless of business topic. Every session in Energia, we have a climate change related topic, a discussion, and a brainstorming session among the management team members. And that's something which I really feel proud of, that we really want to walk the talk and we are walking the talk. So when we have those discussions, we have this discussion that, you know, look at this whole thing of carbon thing which started, right? The carbon thing which started from a perspective of climate change or goals of climate change or the temperature rise which is going to happen. But there is another factor what we have observed and I can name a few case studies or observations. With climate change, there have been more blackouts and brownouts even in the developed nation with forest fires, with flooding and with God knows what, you know, there are so many catastrophes that happen. And most of the utility bosses or leaders we have spoken to are shit scared about one word. That's resilience. How do I as a public utility enhance my resilience? You know, it's good to talk about carbon neutrality, decarbonization, very fancy and very nice words. But talk to them in person. You will hear that behind the limelight of these fancy words, they come back at the bottom that how do I serve my citizens better on time 24-7 and how do I re reduce my operation costs? And last but not the least, of course, it's more awareness in the Western world now coming here that I have to be carbon negative or carbon neutral. But the resilience point is something which is also addressed by digestion and co-digestion. 
Now imagine if a wastewater treatment plant can produce all its electricity, 100%, depending almost nothing on grid electricity, even if the grid is down with typhoons, with floods, and with blackouts because of forest fires, the wastewater plant can still run. And better, the wastewater boy can become a bigger brother to some of these city utilities and say, hey, you know what? Take some more power, I'm making more power, if it's they are making power. If they're making green gas, the gas utility can have gas utility. Again, we've also seen in the world of war that as much as we thought of globalization, we all have to face it that it's moving towards a globalization or even a localization. Now, a city or a region or a country depending entirely on imported natural gas. Nobody knows what would happen tomorrow. So imagine if you find a way to create your own gas, green gas, which is what we call LNG or CNG or biomethane. You've countered that resilience. You've made yourself more resilient. And that to me is Eureka. It is what people would make the longevity of that utility the resilience of that utility, because these utilities are not gonna evaporate tomorrow. They have to be there since until when the human kinds are there, right? So I would say that resilience, energy positive, and by an effect, carbon negative or carbon neutral, and a liability, which would have ultimately ended up in a landfill, would now no more end up in a landfill and be converted into something meaningful. When investors talk to us, they say, holy cow, when we invest in a solar project, we get fascinated that there's sun and then there is electricity but you guys are trying to kill so many birds with one stone. If that's not the right statement, but you're trying to address so many things with this one piece of solution or technology. You know, you've solved so many things. And this is more tangible and long-term. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Let me start with that one, which is a question of scale, actually, because I fully get your argument of the resilience and how important it is to have self-sustaining utilities on the bigger scale of how much natural gas we consume today and how much renewable natural gas we could be producing, what is the ratio between those two pockets of gas? A very good observation again, Antoine. And we come across this question many times. So you will be surprised that the biomethane produced today would be even less than 0.2% of the world's gas needs. That's what we're talking globally. And again, I would like to correct the facts, but International Energy Agency has this printed in a very nice way. And World Bagas Association has an annual report which has it. So you can imagine that so little has been done until 2022, which also means that company like ours has so much to do and professionals like us have so much to do, right? Number two is we also get these questions that, oh, even if you were to build, it will be a small drop in the ocean. But I just would like to repeat the thing I said. There is a role for everything. We, See, it's the we hummingbird have already, metaphor. Yeah. Absolutely. We've already lost a little bit on the time. And I think every bit helps. And this is the low-hanging fruit. And I don't have to wait for 2030 when the new fuels are going to be competitive. This is competitive today. Actually, my question is a bit, you know, there's two ways to look at it. The first is, if you shoot for the stars, you might be reaching the moon. So that's the positive way to look at it. And then I'm fully with you. So if you directly say that you could be building so much more, the other way to look at it is, you know, an elephant, you eat it piece by piece. And the next piece might be, okay, if there's 15% of equipment, maybe the next step might be to go to 20% of equipment and slowly go up to 100%. And same on the local wastewater treatment plants or wastewater plus waste altogether. I mean, the utility level, they should first aim for neutrality. And then one day they might go positive. But if already they go neutral, I mean, there's one to 4% of every country's carbon emissions, which come from the water sector. So if already you can bring that to zero, I mean, that is a crazy achievement. We focus on the planes, but the water industry is three, four, five times the planes. So that's a hidden thing. I mean, as long as they speak about the plane, they, they leave us alone with the water industry. So we're really happy about that. But at some point, they will come to us. And countries like the UK have set some ambitious targets, saying like, by 2030, we're carbon neutral. And by 2050, we don't emit any carbon anymore in the water industry. I do get that on the agenda of utility today, resilience is on top, lowering the OPEX is on top. But how often does the carbon discussion come into your conversations with them? Is it something which you've seen moving over the past years? Is it something which you see booming? I mean, there's a difference between moving and booming. Or is it really something which is, yeah, still a backstory? There's some good points which you mentioned in the question just now. One was energy positive or ca carbon negative is like the North Star, right? I 100% agree with you that the utilities have to first go with the lowest hanging fruit, which is making use of all the waste products they have to convert it into extract energy value out of that 
100% agreed. And we started like that as a company by first telling people that, hey, treat your sludge in a more efficient way, in a more productive way rather than the older technologies and doing more with less, which means can the same infrastructure be upcycled? Can the same infrastructure be used to solve the existing search problem and then move towards code digestion and all that kind of thing? So that was one part of the thing. I agree with you. The second part is which you mentioned about whether we observe. And I think it will be not appropriate. And I think I will feel bad if I don't mention this utility in my podcast today is where we are sitting, PUB, Public Utilities Board of Singapore. And all the points which I just mentioned has some of the other element associated with PUB as well. And I will explain to you slowly about what they're trying to do. But in general, we are finding utilities in the developed world. I would say proudly Australia, New Zealand, Singapore is the top and I'll explain you why. Some European utilities, some American utilities, which have commitments to net zero. We have seen utilities where unbelievable there is a path already how they want to decarbonize. They have mapped their carbon footprint already, like already. And they know by 2023, 2025, 2027, 2030, what are they going to achieve? We are only taking those utilities seriously, honestly, because 2040, 2050 commitment means nothing because the utility boss would have had five CEO changes until then. Take an example of PUB. If you read the Chief Sustainability Report, which came out of PUB, and again, I request everybody on the podcast, this is the world-class utility. Even Dr. Benedict was so impressed to see that they have mapped their carbon. They have come out by which year, how much they are going to abate and how they are going to abate. So they have figured out some low-hanging fruits like solar panels on the reservoirs. Again, the constraints to become carbon neutral for PUB is one of the biggest in the world because of no space, guys. There's no land in Singapore. In that constraint, they cannot grow solar panels. They cannot have so much wind. So the avenues to decarbonize are very little. So PUB went utilizing every piece of the reservoir to make solar. But they also then took biggest, I would not say bet, but the biggest professional decision. They, and we are proud to be associated, they are building the world's largest integrated waste and wastewater complex. It's called the Integrated Waste Management Facility in Tuas. This is going to be one of the first plants in the world where it's actually one of the largest MBRs in the world. All the sludge, 400 tons of food waste, which we, Energia, has been awarded a contract to pre-treat it and the clean food waste and wastewater sludge is going to be co-digested, co-located with an incineration plant, which is going to burn the non-recyclables. All bit of gas is going to be used for the consumption in the plant, but also in the incinerator boiler to make more power for grid injection. So imagine how much nexus we've talked about, heat, power, energy, waste, and they have done it, which will help it, but they're not stopping here. They are looking at more of these. But what I'm talking here is scale, that scale, to decarbonize, hats off. I mean, this is what we want many utilities to do, right? Scale. And then they also have invested millions of dollars right now in R&D grants, helping companies across the world. They are not agnostic. They said, anybody, any soul in the world, please come forward and look at our decarbonization plan and help us. They're also coming out with generous grants and saying, I think they've done a very interesting grant with LA-based company for recovering minerals from the brine, which goes back. They are doing massive research on reducing energy consumption in the desalination space, the wastewater reuse space. So they are going behind nut and bolt of carbon decarbonization. Now that's the leadership, which PUB has shown. And there are other utilities also showing. I think we need to do it that way. Sorry, long answer, but I'm just saying that- Great answer. There are utilities which are coming Honestly, we are happily working with many of them, helping them not just to make sell a product and make some money. I think we as energy are also approaching that it's a bigger problem which everybody has to solve together. It's a partnership. Sometimes the utility may not have the necessary financing. We say, hey, you know what? We're a private sector company. We can finance this facility and you can have a joint benefit out of it. That is something which we're also trying to accelerate. Actually, that's the right word. One is maximizing resource recovery, which I talked about. The second is acceleration. Yes, we will decarbonize. But guys, we've got to speed up. We've got to buck up. Look at how the EV industry has evolved right? like that. So we have to accelerate decarbonization in the wastewater space. We have to push it. And the third thing is, the PPP and a BOT angle, which is where the private sector financing comes in. So much money available to do this. But where are the right projects? There are no right projects because people are thinking in the silos. I want to sell them my technology. I want to only build a plant. I want to just operate the plant. But if you break these silos and you become a developer, which we are also, 
in a way, money is chasing. Hey, can you show us project where we can invest money? Let's jump into that one. One of your good friends, Reinhard Hübner, on that microphone, had that sentence, which is staying with me since we discussed, which is too much stupid money is chasing too much stupid projects. And he also underlined how there's money available. It's just that they're not the right projects to, to put next to it. So it's it fully goes into the same direction than what you're just explaining. Isn't it surprising for a company like Energia, which just went public, which is still quite young, which is on a short life cycle, to be going that much intentionally into the risk zone of investing in your own project, of doing BOT, of doing PPP. I thought that would be something for, you know, the established good old French companies in that game for two centuries. First of all, Antoine, I agree with what our friend said on the podcast, but I would say there is no stupid money. There is money, right? So every money has to be an interesting money. But jokes apart, I think maybe I, I will answer this question a bit personally as well, and as well as what I've observed and what we at Energia thought. When I was looking at this waste space and wanted to make a career and Energia came on the forefront, the biggest single reason which attracted me, of course, the founder is there, but I think the delivery models. Now, let me explain that. Most of the tech companies would like to offer their tech and leave it. And again, learn the hard way of marketing with utilities. And when you go to a utility boss and say, I have the best pump in the world, but the utility boss say, yeah, but that's just the best pump. And what about the pipe in the front and the other system at the back, right? The whole system. And then the technology guy says, oh, but I don't do that. And then, okay, will you supply the technology? Yes. Uh, will you operate it for five years? We don't do that. Right? So how do you convince? What I feel proud, Antoine, about us. And yes, it takes a lot of gut, passion, money and vision to do what Energia has been able to do in short span, but also the thought. Rewinding the story, when Dr. Andrew Benedict launched Energia, his idea was to really focus on the methane molecule, which comes out of organic waste. But since coming from many decades of wastewater experience, he thought that how we could also unlock that in the wastewater space. But this time he said that in the past company, he sold kits. This time he said that the industry which we are dealing with now, water plus waste, which to the audience here is an amazing industry I'm figuring out every day is that not that fast as water as well, right? But it has its own beautiful features that we figured out that if we have to push things, we just can't be living in the glory that we have the best technology in the world. We have to demonstrate A, our solutions at scale. And if people don't bet on it, we bet on it. How fair it is. If you don't bet on your own technology, why should a utility guy bet on your own technology? So Dr. Benedict decided that in order to be masters of our own destiny, in order to, again, the word accelerate deployment at scale is the third word. And today is the fourth word. He said, we have to change the business model. And from day one, the company is built that we are proud to be an end-to-end technology solutions provider. What does that mean is sludge and waste comes on the factory of our plant beautiful green gas molecule, green energy and fertilizer goes outside our plant. Sometimes we do sell technologies where utilities don't need financing, but we have figured out that under one umbrella, we do end-to-end -end integration, complete operations and maintenance. We operate two dozen facilities across the world, finance, but on top of all this, which you just mentioned that there are some big boys who does that. And that needs not just deep pocket, but really a lot of gut is developing projects. We are talking about all risk capital, I repeat, 100% risk capital. When you just go to a new place and say, that's the piece of land we've identified to a wastewater sludge project or a food waste project. And then you get into this whole thing of 20 permits plus 30 other environmental approvals. And you don't know whether you will get those approvals and it could take years. But I think we have done that. We've proven that at scale at our Rialto Bioenergy facility and many more where we go in the beginning when financiers don't want to go for sure. Many other local companies and contractors say that's not our technology, so why should we do it? And the utilities are a bit not so comfortable in doing this. We said, okay, you know what? We take a step back, but we are becoming the developer. So the right word is developing projects. We're taking risk capital, we are masterminding. And when you take risk capital, you actually optimize the solution. You actually try to do more with less. You minimize everything what is required because you have to make the IRR at the end of the day because that's risk capital. And that's what people appreciated when we went public. And even today, that there is so much financial commitment of the founder as well as the company, which is invested. And that gives them more comfort that if the founder and the company is invested, I think we're going to give them more to do more. So we are actually being chased by money today to take more than we need because they've seen A, our deployment skill sets, B, we have put the skin in the game. So we are walking the talk. 
And then the financier says, yeah, you're walking the talk. My checkbox are all clicked. It's risk-free. Let's go. Take more money. So if you're chased by money, what's the bottleneck for your development today? Uh, again, a very good question. So I think uh, the answer is simple, but I'll give it in bullet points. In some places, regulations. Even today, there are many countries in the world which do not have regulations and incentives for organic waste management, for a biomethane or RNG incentives. They're still comparing it with fossil. But today, those same people are thinking differently because the fossil gas prices increase. But you know that's not sustainable in a business model. So regulation, be clearly economics. Many countries have the benefit of moving towards the circular economy and carbon negative approach. So there are funds available, but there are still, we are talking about 60, 70% of the world or 80% of the world's population, which does not have that. So economical drivers to really push it. And number three is sociopolitical, COVID-19 and stuff like that. But I think this is two years, but it shouldn't be hard on ourselves because look, just in 10 years, Antoine, you have interviewed a lot of people. The gestation period to make some Eureka product, Unicorn here, takes 15, 20 years. What? Or more. Or more. And what we've tried to do is, and again, I'm not being proud and being complacent, but we have more to do. But in 12 years, 13 years, we proudly own 13 assets, millions of dollars of asset value under our books. And we have done it. Are we happy with our speed? Always not happy. But can we do more? Yes, we can do more. But what we've decided is that there are 24 hours in a day. So what we said is that in 24 hours and with the limited resource we have, let's focus on customers, countries, cities, and industries and fortune finance companies are really serious. Just if we focus on that, Antoine, we need 25 hours a day, actually. And if we do that, we are decarbonizing anyway because the CO2 molecule which emits from Singapore doesn't discriminate the skies of San Francisco. The CO2 molecule goes across, right? But here, I must say, another very proud thing about energy is that you must have observed that this carbon story and decarbonization story is led mostly by the Western nations or not Western nations, developed countries. Japan and Korea is also doing that. Singapore is also doing that. But I think the fact that we are in Singapore, the fact that we believe that 1.4 billion of India, 1.5 plus of China and 680 million of ASEAN, that's 40, 50, 50 plus percent of the world's population. So imagine the carbon emission from here. Now we want to truly be a global company. We could have been happy in California, Canada and Europe. But Dr. Benedict said, we really have to create an impact, guys. We have to be in Africa too. We have to be in Asia too. And I think the investments we did many years ago are paying off. We are the single largest biogas company from a Western world to have a full-fledged office in Singapore. We have design experience, a design, engineering, project management, operation maintenance, financing, admin, marketing from this office. And so, the chief growth officer of the company. So somehow a sign that you believe that is going to be your development place. Thank you. I mean, that's another thing, which uh, one more thing in our company. And again, reaching out to potential talent in this industry is that it's an amazing world to work with. We have no age limits. If you have the right attitude and the right passion for climate change, this is the gate you want to enter into. And then this is some of the facets, you know, as COO is below 40. I'm below 40. It's not just that age factor, but I would say that, and COVID taught us all, doesn't matter where you are because it's so much intertwined. Our company is so working like a family that I would know exactly what is going on in US and Italy, for example, as they would know in Singapore. So that was another facet, but yes, you're right. Somewhere in our mind, we believe Asia is the growth engine. We have done good work. We are not happy. I am personally not happy with the speed. I shouldn't blame. There are a lot of developing countries, low-income countries. We are now figuring out solutions. How I convert my developed world solution into a developing world solution. So solution remains the same. Can I make it more competitive? Can I offer it in a different way? So we are doing all the kind of engineering right now. So Asia definitely is a growth engine. So when you say different way, it's different technical way. The business model remains the same. You're developing and you're doing an end-to-end -end solution. And what are you selling at the end? Is it biogas? Is it In Asia, there is a small difference that we would prefer to do co-development. I must be honest on this podcast that I wouldn't go to Papua New Guinea or, or Vietnam and say, I take all the risk, right? And it's foolish to do that as well because there are so many strong, capable local conglomerates there who may not have the technical knowledge, but have the infrastructure knowledge, the construction expertise and the financing expertise. So in these countries, we are co-developing, take part of the risk. They take part of the risk. Maybe sometimes they take majority risk. We also put some skin in the game, right? Because the trust is the word in Asia, Antoine. In order to build trust, you can't just say, I have the best iPhone in the world, buy it. No, you gotta put some skin in the game and say, yes, we are committed that this technology will work and we operate it together. And the products here we are looking at is a mix. Renewable energy is still very hot topic in Asia because there's not much electricity. Be aware of that, not electrified 100% of Asia. So there is green energy incentives in some places, like Japan, 
Vietnam, India, Indonesia. And then more and more what we are seeing is after the war that the demand for biomethane molecule from some very professional and ambitious and I would say climate positive companies like PepsiCo's of the world, uh, you know, like the Fortune 500 companies, they are all saying that no matter where my factories are, I need green gas. I need to take care of my waste. And, you know, these are the kind of things also we are looking at. So. And what about your waste? Because on that same microphone, I was discussing with Semra Bakaloglu, and she's done some studies on the emissions of the biogas industry. And she proved it to be twice bigger than formerly estimated. And what she showed is that it wasn't so much about carbon emissions. It was a bit more about methane emission. And methane has a 28 times higher climate impact than, than carbon. So in terms of the number of carbon molecules, not that much, but in terms of, of, of impact is pretty high. And what she was proving is that the portion of that sector, which is the most sensitive and which is the biggest emitter, is basically the waste of that sector. So the sludge digestates or uh, the waste digestates. What are you doing with that portion of the, the matter you're dealing with? I don't have full knowledge about the fact that the industry itself, the processing itself generates two times. Maybe we should have a discussion on that. But what we have observed is that by bringing in professional proven technologies, kind of plucked all the leakages if it would have happened through the digesters. And there are a lot of beautiful sensors and all. And our plant are top rated HSE compliant plants. Now look at the other side of things. Imagine if that utility was just throwing away that sludge. What was that methane emission? So we are saying that, okay, we start with minus five. Oh. That's the question I raised to her. So, uh, yeah. but So, it, at least I would say, Antoine, that as you said earlier, right, there is the low-hanging fruit and what the utility should do today, which is a no-brainer, is that at least treat that thing. Then we are talking about the digestate. Now, let's talk about the digestate. So, that's another thing which at, at Energia, we don't look at sludge only as digestion. We are a one-stop solutions, end-to-end. We also call it high-end, top-rated sludge management partner. We want to be a sludge management partner and not just doing anaerobic digestion and making biogas so which means if there is in the whole plant sludge being produced right from extracting energy out of it nutrients out of it and destroying PFAS out of it we under one company can do it all proudly how do you destroy PFAS and sludge? PFAS has its own interesting and a long abbreviation word, but there is a PFAS chemicals. They call it emerging contaminants, which has been found in many places in the sludge. So what we say is that first, first thing first, take out the energy. No brainer, guys. Let's put digesters, efficient digesters, either in existing wastewater plants using our technology or new build digesters. So you've taken out the energy value out of the sludge. So you've got some income. Second is you've got digestate now. So you efficiently dewater it. We can do that. You, t you get the digestate. In some places, if the wastewater is not mixed with industrial wastewater, you can land apply that sludge. It's happening. But more and more, it's becoming a taboo. So what we figured out is that first problem is there, volume reduction. So much sludge cannot be handled. And the second is PFAS. But PFAS, not from the perspective of destroying the emerging contaminants, but again, same thing. Can we recover something out of it? So we've recovered energy out of it. That's why I use the word energy as all about maximizing resource recovery. Recover the energy value recover the nutrients value. We have ammonia stripping technologies and stuff. But last bit is the volume. We've reduced it. And we have technologies which can make biochar out of sludge. Destroying PFAS and now created a product which is biochar, which again, by the way, has carbon sequestration angle. Once you put biochar into the soil, and again, we can have a separate podcast on that, but once you put the biochar into the soil, it retains the moisture, number one, it has absorbed the carbon and it is a longevity which it offers. So it's, in New Zealand, we have seen projects where people are financing just biochar application on grasses because it sequesters carbon. So energy maximization, volume reduction, PFAS destruction, and biochar production, end-to-end -end sludge management partner. I think that makes for a good roundup for the deep dive. I just have one question left, which is a bit my crystal ball question which is how would you define success in, let's say, five years? Ah, we have some thought that as a company, we have our, honestly, financial goals in terms of market cap. We are ultimately shareholder-owned, right? So we have to give back to our shareholders who trusted and invested into this journey. So we have our five-year goal on where we want to be in terms of shareholder value, market cap, revenue, bottom line. Because as our chairman says, if you do not have your own company sustainable, how will you make a world sustainable? You have to first get your own bread and butter profitably to be able to finance the world profitably. So that's one part of our success measuring. But I think if I were to tell you that how we would define what we are as 
Tesla is for EV. We want Energia for renewable natural gas. So when people talk about EV, they talk about Tesla, generally. And people will talk about RNG. The first name which will come in their mind would be Energia. And how we will do that is by building. Our dream is to build the green molecule from any available organic waste, including wastewater sludge in the world at scale. I literally mean at scale. So imagine we being, right now we are already in the top three renewable natural gas producers in the world already. Of course, go to the top. I would even call it, we are the largest actually from waste, but the dream and the wish is that, as I told you that analogy, but if you were to think, we would be decarbonizing cities. We would be decarbonizing transportation sector. We would be decarbonizing maritime sector. We would be decarbonizing aviation sector, and we would be decarbonizing industries. That's the wish and the dream personally too. Kunal, there are so many open doors in that discussion, which I'm a bit frustrated because I cannot jump into each and every of them because I have to be conscious of, of your time as well. So I propose you for today to switch to the rapid fire questions, but I also noted that you yourself said that it would be matter for a sequel. So I'm taking a note there and I will chase you down. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for the rapid fire questions. So if that's fun for you, in the rapid fire questions, I try to keep the questions short and your duty is to keep the answers short and you'll notice that the one sidetracking is always me. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? The most exciting project have been several because everything we do is touching the ESG space, ESG space, every project we do. So that's fortunate and perks of working in a job like this. But I think personally, if Answering the rapid fire question, the most exciting project I'm working on is the integrated waste management facility at Thuaz in Singapore. As I mentioned, this is where the utility, the government, technology providers like us, contractors and consultants have really pushed the needle on leveraging synergies between the wastewater and the waste space producing more energy than consumed and utilizing every bit of resource possible. I'm personally very excited. And if as mankind, we could build five of these in the next three years, we would have done justice to the work which has been done here. When will it be commissioned? It will be commissioned in 2026. So obviously in the next time, whenever the plant is ready, I wish everybody can do, but as Singapore is very transparent, the details of this plant are already on the website of NEA and PUB. So if someone wants to copy and paste what they've done in the approach, which is really the idea to really steal the good ideas, everything is like built in public, everything is available. Everything actually. And again, reach out to me and we will be happy to connect with the right agencies here if anybody would like to learn about this and how could it be implemented basically. Can you name me one thing that you've learned the hard way? Again, a tough one, but rapid fire, so I'll keep it short. As I was mentioning in the beginning, to gain trust and building relationship. As I said, started very young, fortunately, started very young in this industry and uh, getting trust and getting that uh, seriousness was a tough one. And I think the hard way I've done is to be persistent. That's what my former gurus told me and the current guru. Be persistent. Things don't happen in our business overnight. So no deal is signed overnight. But every day I wake up thinking that I'm going to sign a contract. As a business development person, you will also realize that. And I think perseverance, patience, and it takes a village to gain trust. There is no right formula. And every formula is tailor-made for the person you're building a trust with. It's fascinating because I could have somehow made the same answer. It's uh, similar experiences. So I can, um, I really, yeah, recognize what you're saying. Is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I mean, I would say that I would not get into details of how we work as day-to-day -day employees and stuff, but I just take it a different twist to this. Today, although we said that money is chasing us, but still there is a ESG money, if you want, in our industry. If you talk about any good startup in our space, if you talk about people who want to build this plant, they would still tell you that how tough it is to get VC, PE, and project financing. If you don't have the right pieces of the puzzle solved, there is a different way of how this could be managed in 10 years time. I think the tables would have turned in 10 years time. I wish you're right. And if we go towards those 10 years, what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? A few. I would say that consolidation of water technology companies or consolidation of water system integrators is a big thing. Some of our friends are already doing it. One was on your podcast. There are some other companies who are doing it. But just imagine Latin America has X countries each country has a system integrator focusing on a particular sector. Imagine if somebody thinks of a Latin America waste water or a waste 
consolidator immediately could become a billion dollar company and then once you have the scale you can bring in efficiency you can bring in financial strength so i think consolidation which i am seeing in the waste sector is not so much happening in the water sector obviously also because the way we are regulated and stuff but in terms of technology companies in terms of system integrators there is a consolidation which i see as a trend happening the second trend i personally believe is the vc and the pe rather than just taking it a commercial approach there will be a sense of blended vc and blended private equity coming in blended finance is the word which you see in project financing but i think vcs with family offices would look at blended approach where the valuation expectations as well as the premium expectations would have toned down and there are many other things but i will leave, limit these two actually the consolidation uh, you, you touched on the regulation i guess it's the biggest hurdle if you look at what's happening right now with veolia and suez which are still not merged because of regulation i would have a hard time thinking that all this south america country to, to keep your example would allow all of these companies to come together because that would create an antitrust issue probably you get that very question but you know there was a certain level of complexity thanks to always the french culture also but maybe there is a complexity in the french deal because they were also dealing with a lot of utilities which are owned by a particular cities and that would have created competition when i meant about consolidation of technologies is imagine what uh, dupont did they bought a uf company they bought a ro company they bought a desalitech and they created a consolidation membrane platform imagine in latin america not the public sector utilities but imagine there are 20 million dollar company in peru 30 million dollar colombian company doing industrial water epcs system integration if they jo- combine hands the government has no problem actually there was anti as i understand from the deal and i'm not a expert on this is that what i understood from the french and viola deal was that there were a lot of these concessions which have created monopoly so of course those are the devils are always in the detail but i think consolidation of assets consolidation of tech companies and consolidation of system integrators could be a trend going forward to leverage economy of scale leverage more financing and bring in more efficiencies if you were a word political leader what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges that's a tough one because you know water is such a local subject that of course uh, if the question was that if i was a water minister of a particular country what would i do but let's take it a step back i would say that if i was a world water ambassador which there is a small corner in my heart says that i would want to go for it one day i think what i would do is all the multilateral money which is being spent adb jica world bank iadb i don't know how much is being spent on awareness awareness right from the child is one year old awareness about the real hardships which people are facing in countries and thanks to my background you know i grew up in a state called rajasthan in india where even though you are rich or poor you don't get 24/7 pipe water take it you get tankered water you get two days in a week water you grow up there even if you are rich you cannot get it because there's no water so now imagine I'm sure you've done your field trips in Indonesia. Look at the peaty brown color water. I am not even talking about Africa. Anto, how many people who are even listening to a podcast are aware of that harsh reality? Not just a documentary. So, I think I also take an inspiration from Singapore. The former Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew said that first people have to be aware in order to put the value to the water. Why people think water falls from the sky is because they just think it that way. So, that's one thing I would do. I would create a massive awareness campaign. just like what cop 26 has done imagine the awareness campaign do we have like that in our water industry we don't unfortunately thanks to gwi which brings in people now we will have the un water conference is there something like that which is saying that hey climate is an emergency so water is an emergency because it's a part of a climate and then how do we create that awareness right from not just children in the school no at homes at colleges industries and then have mechanisms carbon credits people talk about why don't people talk about water credits when will there be water reuse certificates which are traded from latin america to asia or asia to america there should be if fortune finded companies are thinking about plastic from going to the ocean they're thinking about greening their operations there are many companies which are being water positive as they say like pepsico there are many of these industries which might be in water scarce area which may not be able to get the water but if they make a desalination plant the cost of product may go up But imagine if that industry is formed in that area so much livelihood employment will be given but they need to then subsidize the water somebody in asia who has more water on the mekong river should be able to subsidize that so i think that's an idea if somebody from the podcast listens to me antwa maybe we can work on this together you open so many new doors here but i really have to be cautious of your time yeah. so i cannot follow all the all of those to the people listening to that i had a very in-depth conversation with mina guli on that microphone where we discussed how there's no zero carbon equivalent in water and how she is working to raise that awareness towards that conference you were mentioning in in New York in 2023 
But for now, my last question, would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite as soon as possible on that microphone? A few actually, if you don't mind. I would say that you may want to look at Mr. Rajiv Mittal, the CEO and owner of Vietech Wabak, to explain the story that how from a developing world, of course, in Asia, created a powerhouse in the world scene. Second is, I think, a dear friend also is Anurag Bachpai. He's the CEO of Gradient Corporation. The reason is how young or youth has created almost a unicorn. And the third one will be Vetri Well. He's the global director for water for Nike. Why him? Because he was previously at Kimberly Clark and he has looked at water positivity in Fortune 500 companies for water sector. So he would be able to tell to your or our podcast listeners how some of these trends are folding up and how at Nike they are considering water as a very scarce commodity. Kunal, it was awesome talking to you today. If people want to follow up with you, where can they contact you the best? So I think uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but I have my email ID, which I can share with you. And our website is very much agile. So they can reach out through that. And it's a small world. They can reach out to you if they want, and then you can connect us. Awesome. So as always, the links will be in the description. And uh, thanks a lot for having me at your office. And I hope there will be a sequel. So many open doors, we cannot just afford to not <sighs> explore them. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for coming, Antoine. Thank you for your time. And if you're okay, if I were to summarize this podcast, because it's been a nice reflection on a lot of points which you raise, is that I would say to the young professionals that this is an amazing industry to do a live MBA. To people around the world which want to deploy money have technologies, have EPC skills and our consultants, it's time now to come together and partner to create decarbonization projects, I repeat, at mega scale today and not just talk about it in conferences. Number three, we at Energia are maximizing resource recovery, accelerating decarbonization at scale today. I repeat some of these words because this is something which if somebody is listening to us and somebody has an idea, please come. We would like to do more of this in many countries. So let's work together. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.